series called Resolution over the last, well, I don't know, five weeks. And uh, the whole point behind this series has not been, you know, to lose weight or to gain more hair. It's been about these foundational biblical things that we should be doing as Christians every year, not just 2019, but that we should resolve to live in these ways every year. So just a quick reminder of where we have been. And if you've missed any of the Sunday messages, they are all available to you right now online at albanync.org. Or for those of you who use iTunes, you can podcast us. So those messages are delivered to you weekly. But our very first message in this series was resolution number one. And we said, this year, I will guard my thoughts carefully, knowing they influence my attitudes and my actions. And if you weren't here that week, and you know it's your thought life that gets you in trouble, I just challenge you to go back and listen to that message series, because it's so critically important. Number two, we talked about how this year, I will pursue healthy relationships that inspire and influence me to become the best version of me. Some of you know you have friends that are not encouraging you to be the best version of you. And so we talked about the value of finding those friendships, like through our life group ministries that we have here in our, in our church, home groups that meet for the purpose of building relationship. These are critical to have, and we should be looking and pursuing those. Number three was this year, I will learn to dream again, believing that God wants to do something great in me and through me. Aren't you glad that God's not passive? He actually works through people still today. You might go, I'm not sure I'm a candidate for that. Well, if you're a follower of him, you're a candidate for that. Um, And so we needed to learn how to dream again, recognize God does have a plan for you. And that's not just if you're, you know, the big wig of the faith or you happen to be a pastor. God has plans for all of us as his his children, and he wants you to see, he wants to see you step into those, all right? And, uh, And then last week, a really critical message, we said, this year I will forgive freely and not allow unforgiveness to poison and imprison my heart. And some of you have been living captive to your own unforgiveness and how painful that's been for you and the need to forgive. And if that's what you're walking with and dealing with today, I just draw you back to last week's message and the importance of being set free from this sense of unforgiveness and how much that can help you. Well, today, a question I have for you is, how many of you would consider yourself to be a risk taker? One. Two, three, four, five. Okay, the hands are going to, a risk taker. Some of you are going, I'm not sure I want to risk raising my hand for this question, right? Because what's he going to, what's he asking us, right? Now, well, maybe I should define risk so you know kind of what we're talking about when I ask you, are you a risk taker, all right? So basically, according to Webster's Dictionary, a risk basically is the possibility of loss or injury, all right? So a possibility of loss or injury, I think we could all say, yeah, we've probably risked at some point in time. We've all been risk takers. In fact, here's a few maybe you're not even thinking about. How many of you have asked someone out on a date? Right, two of you. All right, the rest of you (laughs) magically found your spouse online, right? Or was mail order bride or something, right? No, I took a risk to ask him out. How many of you went to the next step and asked him to marry you? That required risk. There was the possibility of loss or injury. You know, when I proposed to my wife, the first words out of her mouth, you jerk. That was an exciting engagement. (laughs) She called me that because she does not like surprises, and she was pretty sure I was proposing to her, but I hid all the evidence. She had no idea until the night I finally proposed to her at the beach, and then she called me a jerk. So there you go. That's the... I was hoping like a yes, I do, and uh, I got that. Um, How many of you uh, ladies, uh, you chose to become a mom through pregnancy? That was a risk. That was a risk. Uh, How many of you have applied for a job? 
or you've invested your money in something, or maybe you trusted another person with a secret of yours. That required risk. Some of you, maybe if you, if you bought a house, or how many of you have sat in the passenger seat while your 15-year-old drove the car? That required risk. I've done that two times in my life, and I have two more coming, right? So I'm excited about that, but at the same time, you know, it's the most terrifying place to be in the passenger seat when your 15-year-old is driving. How many of you have started a business or some kind of a business venture? That took risk to attempt to start a business. Some of you, how many of you have won bungee jumping? Any bungee jumpers in the house? We thought about putting one up on the balcony today to see if anybody would take us up on it, but I don't think the drop was far enough. Anybody jump out of a perfectly good airplane before? All right, so some of you are thrill seekers. That's different than necessarily a risk taker, all right? But what we can understand about life is that life, it requires risks. If you're living a risk-free life, then you're living somewhere in a bubble and you never go anywhere, you never trust anybody, you never do anything because a life requires risk. The truth is we make relational risks, we make physical risks, we make financial risks, we make social risks, we make all manner of risks that are all part of living. But here's the question, when is the last time you took a spiritual risk? We don't think in these kinds of terms because almost at, 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 at face value, that almost sounds blasphemous. It's like, what do you mean, a spiritual risk? Well, that's what I want to talk about today because I believe there's a lot of us in this room who are missing out on what God wants to do in and through your life, that whole idea of dreaming again, because you have not been willing to take a risk spiritually. We might call it a step of faith, but I'm going to call it a risk of faith because there is the possibility that you may have loss in your life for a greater gain. When it comes to spiritual life, everything's upside down, right? He says those who want to find their life must do what? They must lose it. If you want to live, you basically have got to die. And when it comes to following Jesus, if you want a risk-free faith, you're going to be very bored because he calls us to a risk of faith. In fact, I believe there are people in this room today, and you are frustrated as you consider your faith because your faith has not been very exercised. In fact, I think there might be some people in the room today that your faith is on life support. It's, it's at that point where you're like, if this is all there is, I don't think it's worth the time and energy just to punch the card at church on Sunday and maybe read the Bible occasionally and go about my week and live a good moral life, I'm just not sure this is worth it. And if you're here today and your faith is kind of there, this message is for you, and I, and I hope that you listen because I believe what you need is a risk of faith. Because if the last risk of faith you made was at your salvation when you took the risk to believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins, if that's the last risk you have made of faith, then you've missed out on a boatload of stuff God wants to do in your life. And for some of you, perhaps your last risk of faith might have been trusting God through prayer to act on your behalf or perhaps on the behalf of somebody else. And and when it appeared as though he didn't do it like you thought, like we've already talked about, then you decided he's not worth the risk anymore. And you're not going to trust him with those things. Can I just tell you that what I see in the Bible and what I know personally is God is worthy of my personal risk. He's worthy of any kind of personal loss or injury that I may experience in life. He's worthy. 
And maybe here's something you need to understand, because I know a lot of you, this idea of a risk of faith, it sounds pretty unspiritual, but here's something I need you to think about. Christianity was actually birthed in an atmosphere of risk. Let me explain. From our perspective, looking at what God did, God sending Jesus, his son, to this world, that's pretty risky. Because what if they didn't accept his son? In fact, we know there were large volumes of people who did not accept Jesus as the Messiah. They did not, they they thought he was a, a lunatic. Talk about risky. Now, God knew what he was doing from his perspective, but we look at it, we're going, going that's what you're doing, God? You're, you're, you're sending your son with love into this world? What a risk, because what if the world turns their back on you? And then consider Jesus for a minute. Wouldn't it, isn't it risky of Jesus to die on a cross, a very cruel and horrific death for the sins of all mankind? What if nobody accepts him as Savior? Then his death would be in vain. Talk about a significant loss and personal injury for people. Because there were people that day at the foot of that cross, and guess what they were doing? They weren't going, oh, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. You know what they were doing? They were hurling insults at him because they didn't believe it. They didn't receive the salvation that he was at the moment dying for. Talk about risky. And then, after he died and rose again, talk about the risk that Jesus took in placing the future of the Christian movement, the church, into the hands of his failure-prone disciples. I mean, these were the guys who argued about who was the greatest. This was Peter, the one who denied even knowing Jesus, right? And how are you going to turn the whole movement over to these guys? Talk about risk. What if they failed the mission in the face of the risk they would have to submit to? That was risky. And we look at the Apostle Paul who who took the gospel into the far reaches of the Roman Empire, right? And he planted churches. Talk about risk. He risked his own life countless times. He was beaten countless times so that a church might be planted. What if that church decided, nah, it's too hard to live as a Christian in this Roman culture? In fact, they kind of want to kill us, Paul, if we become Christians. Talk about risk that he was willing to take, and the new believers themselves were also willing to take, as many of them would lose their life because of their faith under the persecution of the Roman Empire. And then fast forward a ways. When the church became established in the Roman Empire, but there was a lot of corruption, and there was a lot of human control and power, and the church did horrifically terrible things under the banner of religion. But there were those willing to risk their life to stand up for truth, like John Wycliffe, Martin Luther, who led us into a reformation that brought about the evangelical faith that we enjoy today. These were people willing to risk their life for the truth of the Bible in face of the religion that was growing. And even today, think about it, it takes risk and for us as followers of Jesus to live in a culture that says, what in the world are you doing that for? That's just a bunch of archaic rules about a God who doesn't exist. Why would you believe that? It takes a lot of risk for us to stand in our faith for Christ Jesus today, especially when you have churches willing to embrace every lifestyle the world throws at them and says, yeah, that's okay, that's in the Bible, we can accommodate your life around that rather than standing up for biblical truth. Friends, it requires risk. And so since Christianity was really birthed in an environment of risk, doesn't it make sense, friends, that our Christian existence today will require a measure of risk? Yes. So my challenge today, resolution number five, my challenge today is going to be this, that I will take a risk, that I will take a risk. 
Some of you are like, I don't know, I'm kind of risk adverse. I don't want to go there. I like the comfort of my Christian life. Well, we're going to upset you today a little bit because I believe your faith is on the line unless we can truly embody this kind of message today. So as I was preparing for today's message, the Holy Spirit just very profoundly spoke to me kind of a a one-liner that we're going to unpack today in this message. And I believe, and I know it had to be the Holy Spirit because I was actually coming out of the shower. Now, these are very highly spiritual times, right? When you're coming out of the shower and all of a sudden it's like, wham, here is this thing. And what the Holy Spirit dropped in my heart challenged me personally, and I hope that it challenges you. And then we're going to kind of unpack it from here with God's word and some other points to, to help this become applicable to our life. But here it was, failure to take a risk of faith will put your faith at risk. Failure to take a risk of faith will put your faith at risk. As I said earlier, I believe there are people in the room today, your faith is at risk right now. An at-risk faith is basically being in a condition where your faith is very vulnerable. When we talk about at-risk people, when we talk about at-risk children or the at-risk elderly, they're people who need assistance to thrive in their life. And I believe some of you today, your faith is at risk. It needs somebody's help to thrive. And I believe that the word of God and the Holy Spirit will begin to bring you to that place where your faith can become strong again, if you will put this into practice today. Because some of you, man, I'm telling you, this year could be a year you walk away from it all because you just feel absolutely dead. And here's why. There's a a growing tendency in the church, it's been there for years, but especially today, where we can have this theoretical understanding about God. We know his Bible stories, we we know these great things that we've done, but we have very little applied knowledge, or what I call proven knowledge, all right? You can know a lot of things about God, but we don't live like that's true. Right, And so we have this theoretical, but there comes a point in time when my life and what I theoretically know are going to come into a bit of a tension. And I'm going to have to begin to apply what I know in how I live. And I'll tell you what, friends, that is when my faith has grown the most. I think most people who could look back over their, their faith growth history would recognize that it's not just the times they spent by the fireside reading their Bible in the comfort of their easy chair that they really grow in their relationship with Jesus. Now, I'm all for Bible reading. But you know what I've discovered? When I apply what I know about God to what's happening in my life and the things that he's calling me into, that is when my faith grows. That's when I mature. And you know what? It's the same thing in life. Think about it. The risks that you face relationally with your spouse, you know that it's through those risks you take to get to know each other better that you're rewarded for that. You know that the risk of parenting is there, but when you see the paybacks of your children actually honoring you and making good life decisions, that's rewarding. But you know what? There's risk involved in that. But too many of us as Christians, we're not willing to risk those kinds of things to grow spiritually. In fact, what we've bought into is what I'll just call a a fail-safe Christianity. Many of you have heard the term fail-safe. Basically, there's there's a couple of ways that fail-safe is used. The first one is it it can mean that it basically, it's guaranteed to work. It is a fail-safe device. It's guaranteed to work. The other way that they have used fail-safe are those times when it's a deactivation term that 
promises that when something is improperly accessed, that it will be guaranteed to fail. So for example, if someone tries to log in to your account and they can't, what happens to your account? They lock it up, right? Uh, So that it's guaranteed to be safe. And so we can look at that, and sometimes we think about our Christian life as a fail-safe kind of plan, where everything either is going to not disappoint us, or it's going to protect us. So we think about there's this God, and this way I'm going to live my Christian life that I will never be disappointed, and I will always be protected, and isn't that wonderful? And some of you have grown up in a church where it was all that kind of talk about your walk with God, and if you're having difficulty in life, then you must have done something wrong. And the reality is, in life, there are hardships that we go through. And if I have a fail-safe Christian faith, and that means when stuff happens that doesn't line up with what I believe to be true about God, I'm going to walk away from it. Because that long, it doesn't, long, it doesn't make any sense anymore. Because I bought into this bubble-wrapped, fail-safe Christianity. And can I tell you, there are people out there who have given their life for the sake of the mission of Christ Jesus. And they'll tell you, if they could speak, there is no such thing as safe Christianity. There just isn't. Safe faith, by the way, is a dangerous faith because it lulls your faith to sleep. And it deprives you of those moments in life when it has to get hard. And that's when your faith grows. And that's when your faith is rewarded. But too many of us as Christians, we just want to have safe faith. And I believe that every Christian life is marked with these windows of opportunity that demand that you step out of that comfort and take a risk. In fact, faith in Christ will involve risk. The Lord's going to bring you to the edge of a decision where you've got to decide, am I going to step out and take this risk of faith for him, or am I just going to step back where it's comfortable and where it's convenient, where it's fail safe, where my little safe faith can operate. See, here's what I discover as I look at Scripture. Where there is no risk, there is no faith. I know that might sound a little oversimplified, but let's look at it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, where there is no risk, there is no faith. Look at what it says. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, Because anyone who comes to him must, one, believe that he exists and that he does something. What does he do? He rewards those who earnestly seek him. That means, in other words, I'm willing, God, to seek you through the circumstances in my life and or the things you're calling me to. I'm going to believe you exist and I'm going to step into it. I'm going to press in because I know you reward those who seek you. See, we have this idea that God exists, but then we don't. We live our lives as though he doesn't, as though everything that can happen should happen naturally. But here's what Hebrews 11.6 reminds me of. It means that you can be a good, moral person doing what's expected of you, reading your Bible, going to church on Sunday, being a good husband, being a good wife, being a good mom or a dad, serving in your community. But if you're not living by faith, you won't be very pleasing to God. So what ways are you living actually by faith? That's the question I want to pitch out to us today because so many of us are just living a routine kind of Christian existence that requires no faith at all. Yeah, you have a faith in God, kind of this theoretical, I know he exists kind of way, but you're not living in any sense faith. 
You know, what I've come to find out is you look at the Bible, especially the New Testament, there's no boredom in the lives of those followers of Jesus. But here's what I know to be true. There's a lot of Christians today that are bored in their Christian faith. So what do they start doing? They start fighting with people. They start arguing over what color the carpet should be or shouldn't be. They start arguing about the music. They start arguing about the lights. They stop worrying about, oh, is anybody getting saved? Have I talked to anybody about Jesus? No, I want to fight about the carpet. I don't care about what's happening around me. Isn't that terrible? This is what happens when we get bored with our faith. We start finding ways to fight about stuff that's just silly. Or start thinking about things that are not even worthy of our thought life. But there are windows that I believe God provides for us of breakthrough where we can step into a new territory, where your faith grows, where you begin to believe like you know you should believe and you start acting like you know you should act because to live a great Christian life, you have to expect the supernatural from God. The problem is most of us want to live a natural life. We just want to live natural, right? I don't want any upsets, God. I don't want any supernatural moments. I don't want to have to trust you with something because I don't know if you're going to come through. What a sad place for us to be. Because God still works in his people today. He still works through his church today to carry out his mission. And there has to be this shift in our life from the natural to the supernatural. When's the last time you believed God for something and took the risk of faith required to go with that? When's the last time that's happened for you? Because you know what? For someone, maybe this is you, for someone who grew up in the church and your only exposure to the Christian faith is all religion and no supernatural power, it's all religion but no power, then, then that doesn't have anything that motivates you to stick with it. I love what Paul says. In fact, he says it in 1 Corinthians 2, 4. He's talking to the church at Corinth, and he says that my speech and my preaching are not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power. What Paul knew to be important wasn't so much all this great stuff. He was a great teacher, and I'm sure he taught a lot. But he said, you know what's most important? That there's a demonstration of the Spirit's power because that is what transforms your life. That's what moves your faith. When you begin to see God that you know is at work biblically, be at work now really in your life. That's what brings a sustaining power to your faith. Because the last thing that an authentic Christian should be is bored. I'm telling you, but here's the thing. Most of us, because we're not risk takers of faith, we're bored. And our faith is about to die. So what's the resolution for today? It's this. This year, I will take a risk of faith instead of submitting to the mundane life that places my faith at risk. Some of you know that if this is all your Christian life looks like this year, you could walk away right now from it. Because if all it is is just being good and doing right and reading the Bible, stopping sinning, there's not a lot there to keep you excited about your faith. There's not a lot there for you to grow in. Do you know where I see people grow in their Christian faith? on a missions trip. Do you know why missions trips become so critical to your growth? It's because you're placed in a situation now where the natural won't get you where it needs to get you. And all of a sudden, you're relying on God to do some things. And you know what? I've seen people grow in their faith through trusting God through those big kind of opportunities like missions. Or 
the big opportunity of talking to somebody else about their faith in Jesus. And all of a sudden, you light up and they light up and it's exciting because all of a sudden, you're moving into a territory you've never been before where God shows up and works. I know that some people look at this resolution and go, yeah, Caleb, you don't know me. I'm not a risk taker. Can I just remind you that most of the people in the Bible who we look back as heroes of faith, you know what? They were totally afraid to take a risk too. Let me just hold up one example for you. There was this guy named Moses. I'm sure you've heard of his name, right? God handpicks Moses, appears to him in a burning bush in the wilderness, tells him what he wants him to do. What is Moses spending the whole time doing? Talking himself out of it. Basically saying, God, you got the wrong guy. I can't do any of this stuff you're talking about. I can't. What about? And he is totally not willing to step into this risky environment. But you know what? God doesn't give up on him, does he? He keeps recommissioning and recommissioning and recommissioning Moses. Friends, the great heroes of faith that we look at in the Bible and go, man, I wish I could be like that. I wish I could be like David. I wish I could be like Moses or Abraham. I wish I could do those profoundly things like, uh, like Esther who stepped up in the face of the people that she loved dying. And she stood before the king and tried to make a, a, you know, kind of a request on their behalf. You know what? They were not strong risk takers by personality. They just trusted God in the moment. And God was faithful with their trust, their risk of faith. And in order to reap that great reward of faith, there had to be a great risk of faith. And I think the same is true for you. You want faith like those people. Maybe you're looking at other more current contemporary Christians. You look at them, you see them on TV or you read their books and go, man, I wish I could have faith like that. But you don't want the risk that goes with it. Why? Because we're into this convenience-oriented Christianity. I want to put a quarter in the machine, I want to push a button, and I want all that to come to me. But no risk, friends, no reward. That's what we see throughout scriptures. These people had to be willing to take a risk. Are you willing to do that? In Matthew 25, we see a a great parable that I believe the Lord wants to kind of repurpose today to help us understand how this applies to us. Matthew 25, 14 is the parable of of talents, it's called, which is a story that Jesus tells about a wealthy landowner who's going to go away on a vacation. And so let's just look at it. Matthew 25, 14, if you have your Bibles, you can look at it. If you have your smart device, you can use the Bible app and go to it as well, because we're going to be here just for the remainder of our time today, and we'll get you out of here. Matthew 25, 14, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. This was very common, by the way, in that day and age, because the Typically, we're very agricultural kind of uh, area. If I left, on ta- left out of town for a long period of time, someone's going to have to keep things going. And so he has these servants that he entrusts to. And this obviously becomes a large amount of money as you look at it. In fact, what the wealthy man gave away were eight bags of gold. Five to one, two to another, and one to another. That's eight bags of gold. The equivalent of that today would be about $2 million that he's entrusting to his servants. We go on, verse 15, to one he gave five bags of gold, or that would be basically 1.25 million. To another two bags of gold, or 500K. And to uh, the last one, he gave one, which would be 250K. And then he went on his journey. And it says, the man who'd received the five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So 1.5 million becomes what? Do your math quickly. $2.5 million. What a great return on there on the, the master's investment in him. So also, verse 17, the one with two bags of gold who had 
Okay, right? He went and earned two more, a million dollars total now, but the man who had received one bag went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. So I want you to think about this for a second. The, the wealthy master took a risk with his $2 million. How many have $2 million to risk today? Okay, thank you. You should give them the offering today. No, just kidding. So not many of us do, right? But he had the wealth. So, but recognize he had to take a risk, releasing the funds to these three servants. And each of these servants responded to the risk that was given to them. Two of them took a risk, invested that money, and had a reward for that. One of them did what? Nothing with it. Buried it. Put it in a hole. Well, as we look at the story, as it continues, what I think is interesting is the man who buried it, his master took a risk on him, but he was unwilling to pay that risk forward and increase his master's return. Can I just tell you, friends, that God loves you? He has a plan for you, and part of that plan he's wanting to see happen to you, he's putting a risk out there. He's saying, will you trust me? Will you do what I want you to do? He's placing a trust in us. And a lot of us, if you're honest, you know what you've done with that? You've buried it. You put it in a hole. Because you weren't willing to take the risk to try to do something for what the master had given to you. Well, the story goes on. Basically, long story short, I won't read it all, but the master returns, settles accounts with his servants, and has them all brought to him. The man who had five said, hey, look, you gave me five or brought you back five more. Here's your, here is your $2.5 million. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's rest and the joy of my happiness and blah, blah, blah. Right? The other guy comes forward who was given two. Now, if I was the guy with two, I, I might be tempted to think, why was I only given two? Why wasn't I given five like the guy over here? Right? I, you, he could have done that. He could have buried his two and said, well, I guess I'm not as good. I only got two. Please notice that it says according to their ability, right? God knows what you're able to handle, and the first step of faith, the risk of faith he may give you, won't be like mind-shattering, perhaps. It might be like one thing he wants you to do, right? Each according to their ability. So one had five, one had three, or had two, they returned it. The one who had one was brought before the master, said, here's your money back. And what does the master do? It goes on to say, verse 28, take the bag from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance, but whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What this sounds like to me is dangerous territory. The truth of the story was, All three people's decisions involved a measure of risk. Let me explain. Two of them risked their master's money and had a reward for that. One did not do anything with his master's money, and he risked losing his life. Friends, here's what I want to challenge you with from this parable today. I believe God is wanting to dole out some trust to each of us. It takes his risk to do that. I'm going to trust you with this. Are you going to follow through? Are you going to do what I'm calling you to do? And some of you have been faithful to do it, and you've seen your faith grow, and you've had a return upon what God has invested in you, and you're growing and able to handle more. Some of you, he has given you what he gave you, and you've done nothing with it. Nothing. Well, well, what has God given me? He's given you your salvation. Let's start there. You're saved. What are you doing with that? No, I don't know. I'm going to church on Sundays. 
Doesn't that count for something? Well, yeah, I'm glad you're here, but this is just part of what we all do. This isn't where mission happens. This is just gathering to encourage one another. Why? So we can go out and do what God wants us to do out there. A lot of us, nothing. And you know what it's at risk? Not your life. I don't believe your salvation's at risk, but your faith is. Some of you are going to walk away from it because it's just nothing happening in your life. You just don't feel like much is going on. So if your faith is on life support, it's time to take a risk of faith. And here's how I want to challenge you with it as we leave today. First of all, this risk of faith is, is not something stupid, all right? Uh, I've seen some people do some pretty wacky things under the, na- under the name of spiritual faith. Um, here's what I want you to understand. I believe that risk of faith that God honors is, first of all, something he birthed in your heart, and secondly, it's going to be backed up with Scripture. God has proven himself and his character and what he does through the Word of God. If God's calling you to something that's counter-biblical, don't do it, because God's not going to contradict himself, all right? So kind of the litmus test is, is God speaking this to my heart, and secondly, does the Bible back this up? But here are some things I know the Bible does back up, and God probably is calling some of you to do. For some of you, that risk of faith for you might be believing Christ is your Savior because you've not yet made that decision. You've been around church, you've been around Christian people, but you've not yet trusted him privately with your life. So you got to start there. Others, maybe the risk of faith you need to take is forgiving someone. I mentioned last week's message again. Maybe your risk is forgiving. Yeah, there's a loss involved in forgiving. Maybe you need to take that risk and forgive somebody who's hurt you. Or seek the forgiveness of somebody you know you've hurt. Number three, there's serving in ministry. You know, some of you, you come here week to week, you enjoy all the neighborhood has to do for you, but you're not serving in any capacity here. Maybe it's time to take a risk of faith and say, there's probably something here I can do. And by the way, watch for uh, the class, Finding Your Place class. It's coming up. We want to help you find your place and the way you can serve either right here in neighborhood church or in our community. All right, so come be a part of that. Some of you, you need to take a risk by telling someone about Christ, sharing your faith with somebody. You know, you work with people, or in your own family, there are people who do not believe. They can't argue with your story, friends. Your story is your story. Share it of what Jesus has done for you. You go, I don't know if I can do that. You know, I've heard a lot of Christians say, I don't think I could ever witness. That's like, I don't know, like, I can't do that. Yes, you can. Because you have a story. And you know what? Chances are God is already working on the heart of that other person he's calling you to talk to. Do you trust him? That takes a bit of risk. Put your name out there to put your faith out there, especially in today's culture who wants to belittle your Christian faith. But there are people who desperately need the hope that you have in Jesus. They may not have liked how it was packaged by certain churches, but your story of who Christ is to you and your Savior is what they might need to hear. Others, maybe it's stepping into God's plan for your life because you know God has his hand on you to do something with your life that your current career is not going to do. I know people who have had very professional careers and God has said, you know what, you ready to do my plan for your life now? And they've left their field of practice to the mission field or to serving Christ in some way. Friends, maybe he's shifting your pathways. Are you listening for him? Maybe others, it's the risk of giving of your resources to God's mission, faithfully giving to missions, or faithfully giving in tithe to the church. 
You can't trust them with their friends. Your faith is not going to grow because how many know where your treasure is, there your heart is also. If you can't trust them with your resources, then you're not going to trust them in any other area of your life. So I challenge you to avoid the temptation to live risk-free. Christian life is not going to work very well for you that way. You'll be bored. You'll walk away from your faith because it seems stale and old. But here's the thing I want to challenge you with. Become free to take a risk of faith. Resolution number five. This year I'll take a risk of faith instead of submitting to the mundane life that places my faith at risk. Let's pray. Lord, right now in this room, you know there are people whose faith is on life support. It's dying. And it's dying because it hasn't been exercised. It hasn't been practiced. It's just been kind of this generalized sense that you exist, but they've not let that faith grow and mature through actually applying it in their life by stepping into these places you call us to. So God, I pray right now for anybody in this room who's there, that I pray this would be a a year, this would be a week where they step into that risk of faith. Maybe that means some of these things that we've talked about, or maybe you're talking to them about something entirely different. But God, we want to grow, but the way you grow us, it requires risk. So for anybody at that place where they could just walk away from their faith right now, I pray they would hear this challenge once again, that it's not too late to take that risk of faith, to believe you, want to do something through their life. And maybe it's something which would seem as simple as just being faithful to share their story about what Christ has done for them with a friend. I know you bring windows of opportunity our way, God, that help us to grow, but they require risk. Maybe it's being generous to somebody in a way that we hadn't thought about before. Help us to be obedient in those steps of faith and those risks of faith, knowing that you honor that, that you do reward that, and our faith grows. So God, I know we want great faith, but help us be willing to do what it takes to get there. I pray for anybody in the room today who just maybe needs to start with accepting Christ as their Savior. And if that's you, I just want to take a moment here and pray with you. It's the greatest decision you could ever make. It really is. Maybe you're saying, Kelly, I, you know, I grew up around the church, but I feel like I walked away from God a long time ago, and I'm not even sure if God cares about me. Yes, he does. He loves you. Maybe you're here and you've kind of known about God in some kind of other way, but you've heard it maybe differently today for you. And you're saying, Kelly, I feel like I need to respond today. If you're here and that's you, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, no one's looking around at you right now, just raise a hand and say, Kelly, that's me. I, I, just, I feel like I need to put my, tr- my trust in Christ today as Savior. Just raise a hand if that's you. I'd love to pray with you right now. Thank you. Anybody else? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for those that are just being honest right now, and, and they know where they are. Some have walked away from you years ago, and they're back today because someone drug them to church. God, I just pray that right now, in this moment, they would know the greatest thing they can do is trust you as Savior. We can't fix our own lives. We can't save ourselves. And thank you that we don't have to. Because, Jesus, you've promised us that you're our Savior, that our past can be put away, can no longer hold power over us, that we can be forgiven of all the wrong that we've done because, Jesus, you took the punishment for all of that. What a great risk you took, Jesus, doing that, that we could be saved. 
And in that salvation, we can begin to discover the life you're calling us to. So I pray that right now. Whoever's in this room, they would recognize it starts by just simply admitting they need you. And they could pray simply, God, I, I need Jesus today. Forgive me of my sin and receive me as your child. I want to step into the life you have planned for me. A life of adventure. Not boredom. I want to grow to know you better through situations in life that call me out of my comfort zone and require a risk of faith. So I start that journey today with you, God, and I thank you for that. Now, for all of us, God, I know that with this kind of a message on our hearts, you're going to have a window opportunity coming up very soon for a lot of these people to put this into practice. And I pray they wouldn't miss it. They wouldn't shrink back and totally miss an opportunity to grow. They would boldly step into it, believing that you reward their faith. So I thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen.